these kids don't need those types of questions. They're just trying to figure it out and putting pressure on them isn't going to make them figure it out any faster. Hey, y'all. I think we've all been in that place with our kids where they're clearly going through something big. Something with friends, something with sex, mental health, transness. Something that makes our parent heart go, oh God, I need more information about this so that I can help and protect and make sure nothing bad happens to them. So you put out that bid for connection and you try to engage in the conversation and your kid gives you absolutely nothing. They stare blankly at you. They say, I don't want to talk about it. Or, oh no. And you get emotionally snared. And the harder you push, the less they want to talk to you. Sound familiar? You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host slash head counselor, Mackenzie Dunham. But you can call me Mac. We have a really great episode for you. I'm talking with Flynn Alexander, a therapist who specializes in working with transgender individuals and their families. We'll be discussing ways to talk with trans kids who may be hesitant or uncomfortable with discussing sensitive topics, such as their transition. But before we really dive in, I have a couple of things I'm really excited to share with you. The first, oof, I'm so excited. We're doing the very first in-person Camp Wildheart. Wildheart Society has reserved space at Sequest State Park in this great state of Washington, which is about halfway between Seattle and Portland. This is a family camp style camp. So parents, trans kids, and siblings are all welcome, and the Wildheart Society team will be providing a full camp experience, complete with programming to create a one-of-a-kind event where families will be able to connect with each other, kids can be 100% themselves, and everyone can learn about stuff that is actually relevant to their lives. Plus, real-life campfires. We'll be roasting marshmallows, singing stupid camp songs, and wading into the wilderness. For more information, go to wildheartsociety.org slash events slash camp. While I'm on the subject of community, I wanted to remind everyone that there's also a Camp Wildheart community Facebook group that's private, as well as a Camp Wildheart community Discord. To get access to the Discord server, you'll need to email camp at wildheartsociety.org, or you can find the link on the Facebook group. To get into the Facebook group, just search Camp Wildheart community, fill out the questionnaire, request to join, we'll approve you. Oh, one more thing. If you're new here, like a first-time camper, or maybe you joined us in the last season or two, hit pause and go back to the start of season one. Listen to the episodes in the order they were recorded. It makes more sense this way. This episode will be here for you when you finish binging the first three seasons. Okay, back to the subject at hand. Kids who won't talk. As a parent, it can be challenging to navigate these conversations and support our children in the best ways possible. But with the help of experts like Flynn, we can gain valuable insight and tools to create a safe and loving environment for our kids to express themselves. A little more on Flynn for you. Flynn's a clinical social worker. He graduated from Michigan State with his MSW. That's master in social work, just in case you didn't catch that. Um, Flynn uses he and they pronouns and is an out and proud trans man. When Flynn approached me about working at Wild Heart Society, I was like, I really, I really do not have room to take on more people. But after spending 20 minutes with him, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to figure out how to do this because this guy is flipping awesome. His energy is contagious. He's courageous, calm, funny, joyful, introspective, and a change maker. 
I'm so thrilled he's on our team, and I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. So grab a cup of coffee or tea and some marshmallows and join me and Flynn by the fire as we delve into this important topic on Camp Wildheart. I'm Flynn. I am a therapist. I'm also a trans man, a white trans man. Um, I've been out for about since 2015 um, and on hormones since 2016. Um, top surgery, all that fun in what, 2017? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the day of the women's march, I had top surgery, which was pretty oh, exciting. Oh, yeah. Kind of a fun, that was a fun day. <laughs> yeah. Um, to have like gender affirming surgery on the day of the women's march. Pretty cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm also an educator and activist. I've done a lot of workshops on Trans 101. I've worked with a lot of folks, you know, trying to learn and understand what trans identity is. Um, I came out very publicly at Clark College when I worked there. Mm -hmm. um, and I chose to do that. That was a conscious decision on my part because the community knew me one way and um, was going to have to relearn who I was a different way completely. Um, so I made that decision and then the institution kind of decided to take that and tokenize me with it. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I learned a lot, but I did a lot of educating of cis people to the point of burnout. Um, so I left that field and went to grad school and became a therapist, which now I get to be my own boss, which is pretty rad and navigate institutions on my terms. So I also kind of do some contract work as a research assistant, uh, with the university of Michigan doing trans focused research particularly on STIs and STI testing for trans mm -hmm. folks, because um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in that area in particular, um, not just for trans folks, but all, all folks, especially LGBTQ folks. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of discrimination happening there. So I'm seeing like the impact of the work that I do on the community, both on a micro level and a, a macro level as well. So I want to continue that process too. And you joined Wild Heart Society uh in the summer yeah i think it was like september september so right as the summer was coming to a close yeah yeah so i one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you specifically like as i was thinking about like who can i do this episode with um i'm like i'm gonna talk to flynn and mainly because i just like talking to you um oh. and i feel like when we have conversations like they're really good conversations um but i really like the way that your brain works and how you think things through and like see things from multiple perspectives and so i thought well, one, we're going to have fun. And two, you're going to have a lot to say. Um, and so I went to the listeners to find our topics, um, which is, I think, Mark. the funnest way to go about it. Um, because we aren't doing this for our, our own amusement. Right. Well, um, how to, way to be social worky with it, too. <laughs> you know, that's my, it's, I'm a social worker at my core. Yep. I can't undo it. <laughs> can't change it. Can't turn it off. Nope. Nope. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of different things probably, but the first thing we're going to talk about is we had a question from, um, a listener that is about something I hear a lot, um, in my office as well. So I thought this would be relevant. Um, so your kid comes out as trans, they, they tell you they dropped this bomb, but then they don't want to talk about it or they don't have answers to questions that you think they should have or, um, they just go dark. Like they just go silent and they don't tell you anything. Um, and then sometimes they'll even, the only thing they'll tell you is, and I want testosterone and I want hormones. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when you try and ask them questions, they're like, they give you nothing. As I have heard this from 
many parents over the years, uh, I thought it would be a decent place to start. And I see it a lot too with clients and mm-hmm. their parents. Like, so in my practice, parents will bring their kids to me, like, because they are like, oh, wait, my kid won't talk about this, but maybe they'll talk to you about this. And even with me, they won't. They don't want to talk about it because no. it's like very, it's a very intimate thing, your own gender, and they're still figuring it out. And it can feel like being interrogated sometimes. Yeah. And I think oftentimes, Parents will launch in with questions that they don't know the answers to. Mm -hmm. And since it's such a vulnerable thing to like declare, this is who I am. And then you're asking me questions I don't know the answers to. It like can really shake up a lot of like, you don't believe me. I need to prove it to you. This sort of unhealthy internal dialogue about um, just having to prove it. Mm, yeah justifying themselves yeah Mm -hmm. being trans enough Mm -hmm. um which uh i put that in air quotes for people who can see me which is only fun um and (laughs) the the, like the being trans enough concept is a is a very real concept that trans Mm -hmm. people feel um across the gender spectrum um, and from different entities, uh, they can feel it from therapists. They can feel it from parents. They can feel it from friends. They can feel it from doctors. They can feel it from themselves. Um, other trans people too. Other trans online. people for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is especially cool. And I think that's another thing that people don't. I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but like uh, uh, the people don't understand about um, every person's gender story is different. Every trans experience is different. And there may be similarities, but there's also going to be a lot of differences and a lot of um, you experienced this, I experienced this. And when we do the comparing of gender stories, um, especially if we've got like something we are measuring things up against, right? It really helps. It really like quickly gets well, when I was watching I Am Jazz, this is what Jazz experienced, and you don't experience that. Or or we didn't see this when you were little, so how does that mean? What does that mean? Like, I'd missed it as a parent. Like, if you feel like you've missed something about your and child. I hear that a lot mm. from parents, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's a lot of, I was prepared for gay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Definitely. not. I heard that one big time. But see, now my parents are like, I have a trans sister. And so mm-hmm. my parents have both a trans son and a trans daughter. Ooh, twofer. Yeah, definitely. So for them, it's like they saw me and now they see me and they talk about this. It's a joke in our family. that, like, of course, it was obvious for Flynn, but it wasn't obvious for Jewel. And that makes a lot of sense because she is a trans woman and she tried to hyper masculinize herself mm-hmm. to kind of hide it from herself. It's very different. I was allowed to be a tomboy. She wasn't allowed to wear dresses and makeup and that sort of thing. She had to do it in secrecy. So there's there's complexities to this that I think a lot of folks, a lot of parents don't really have the tools to recognize. Yeah, I've, I think you're spot on about that, particularly about girls. Um, mm-hmm. And the it's, so it's really common for uh, trans women to come out in adulthood for a lot of this reason and later in adolescence. Um and for parents to be really confused. But the really confused thing, like the parents experience, right? It 
is a lot of the like, I'm trying to put the pieces of your life together in a story that makes sense. And I don't know how we ended up with your trans. What I'll first I'll just say about like, I when I hear I see I, I was ready for gay. Um, I wasn't ready for trans. So often we see gender and translate it as sexuality. We do. It's so true. Mm-hmm. And if we pause for a minute and you think about all of the like quote unquote stereotypes of like people's gaydar and what that looks like or whatever, we're really talking about in many ways, we're talking about what their gender is. Mm-hmm. Um, and their identity, you know, particularly for gay men, um, right? People are like, oh, of course they're gay. Look at them, they're flaming, right? But a lot of gay men will like use female pronouns or like t- talk about how they're going to lunch with the girl um, and really do a lot of gender play that doesn't really get acknowledged or discussed because it gets wrapped up into the idea of their sexuality. But it has... Right nothing to do with their sexuality exactly and then and then it's like we make these assumptions that gay people are all flamboyant when it's like mm-hmm. no cis gay, there are cis gay men who are masked for mask which is a huge joke now in the community like, <laughs> this for masculinity in the gay community we're like no femmes they don't want feminine right. men right and that's and so you see this gender thread throughout cis gay culture too mm-hmm. absolutely and so i think that um when we look at like our kids and we look at their childhoods and we're trying to make sense of the gender story that they're telling us that they've experienced, the very first thing I will, I always try and encourage parents to do is to believe whatever their kid is telling them. Mm -hmm. And so often what their kid is telling them doesn't match up with the story that the parent has in their head about what their kid's experience was like. And it's really common for me to do a lot of work with parents around like unenmeshing uh, or is there, there's got to be a clinical term for unenmeshment. Um, But but like, I'm sure there is, but like (laughs) recognizing like my witnessing of my child's experience is not the same of me knowing as my child experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think it can be helpful too for, for adults, cisgender adults, to really look at their own gender story, right? Instead of obsessing over your child's gender story and how it doesn't match your narrative, yeah. but go yeah. back and look at your own, right? Think about your, back to your own childhood and what gender meant to you then and how you were read by people, what that was like. That's kind of what I used to do when I would facilitate workshops was I would, inc- I would do an activity using the gender unicorn mm-hmm. to kind of help folks go through because a lot of cis folks haven't taken the time to think about their own gender or their gender expression or what that means for them. And so that can really open up some of the, their, that perspective for them. When kids are shut down about having these conversations around gender, I think one of the other questions that I also ask is like, what is the, what is the culture of talking about gender like in your home? Mm, right. Yeah. Cause typically like they don't talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. And that sort of lives right in that same world of like parents, this is your opportunity to like do your own stuff first and mm-hmm. to spend time with, your own self dealing with your own things looking at your own gender journey and so many times i i i literally don't think it's ever happened where i've said have you ever looked at your own gender journey and parents are like oh yeah i did that 
I doubt it. Unless maybe they're trans too. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and in which case they're like, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're the, the concept of parents looking at their own gender story, there's so much value in it and so much help comes from like just understanding the way that you have been gendered, the way you've been experiencing gender, the, the boxes that you have shoved yourself into in the name of gender. What would your life have been like had you had access to different parts of the world that you didn't have access to based on your gender? Um, what does it mean to be your gender? What have you been told it means? What are examples of how that is not true? Um, and like really, really digging into it. Um, I have parents write their own gender journeys all the time. They come back and they're like, this was really surprising. Yeah. It's so interesting too, because like cis women tend to have more access to embracing this conversation and looking Mm -hmm. at their gender because of the experience of being a woman in our society. Right. And they can support the fathers in the situation who have a harder time accessing this stuff because although there are great examples, we talk a lot about toxic masculinity, but what does it mean? And what do we mean when we talk about that? So there's a lot of things that areas that cis folks could benefit from looking at their own experiences. Yeah. I say it over and over and over again. I think in like every episode of this season, because this is mm-hmm. going to be like the first episode of the season, but it'll be like the last episode I've recorded. Uh, <laughs> since um, and I think in every single episode I talk about at some point, like the patriarchy hurts cis men just mm-hmm. as much as it hurts cis women and trans people. Like they're, there's so much damage that are done to cis men by the patriarchy and the vast majority of it comes in the form of toxic masculinity and uh, all of the nuance that is folded up into that phrase. And um, when people really take a look at how that has affected them, it it's a game changer. And there's a lot of grieving that happens. A lot of so, grieving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can be traumatic. It can be hard to look back at that. Because it can reveal certain things or bring up things that we don't remember about our experiences. Yeah. For good reason. Self-protection. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking back to the question at hand, right? Which is like, what do I do when my kid shuts down? Um, My first question is, what's the culture of talking about hard things in your family anyway? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, let's start there. Is it weird that you'd be having this conversation that's about this scary hard subject? Can we first acknowledge that it's a scary, hard subject? Yeah. Um, Can we talk about vulnerability first? Can we talk about, like, it's okay to be uncomfortable? What groundwork have you done to make it so that this is a safe place to have a conversation? Right. It's such a vulnerable conversation itself. And so if there's no base to have vulnerable conversations about other things, that can be a a pretty good gauge of of why this is happening, why kiddos got opening up more, feeling comfortable to do that. Yeah. And sometimes it can also just be the saying it. Sometimes just saying it is the first step for for a kid. And that takes a lot of the pressure off for them. And so then they're not as worried about it. Anymore. They don't want to talk about it because it's not as big of a deal. For a lot of kids, particularly in this generation of like new uh, the baby trans kids, um, there's like a an attitude a lot of the times of like, that's just my gender. 
I don't want every conversation we have to be about my gender. I'm still the same person. I just like, there's just this other information you have about me now. Um, that was always there, but is now explicit. Um, when a kid comes out, like there's like this, like sometimes a lot of the time, right. This tension that they've been holding in their bodies. Right. And they come out and they tell you, and it's like, (sighs) relaxing, releasing of the tension. Yeah. And then you come in with questions and it's like, Oh, the tension is back. Um, I don't want the tension. I just got rid of it. I'd like to just. <laughs> yeah. And they'll Back. just like mm, turtle on you. Um, the other thing that keeps popping into my head that I'd be thinking like, say it, say it, say it. Um, so many trans kids are neurodivergent in some way. Yes. Mm-hmm. And coming at a neurodivergent person with a bunch of questions and intense emotion Mm -hmm. is a recipe for them to not talk to you. (laughs) Exactly. It really, really is. (laughs) Immediately interrogating them. And I get it. It's like the desire to understand. The intention is good. This is another example of intent versus impact. Parents have the best intentions, but the impact Mm -hmm. is just not hitting where they want it to necessarily or where their kids want it to. Yeah, I think one of the best things you can do as a parent is to give them permission to not talk about it right now if they yes. don't want to. Mm-hmm. And maintain Be- that opening stance with their kids. Yeah, totally. Agree. And I think that if you want to have conversations about gender with your kid, talking about your own gender experience, because you're doing that dive into your own gender story, um, mm-hmm. is a good opening. Definitely, definitely. The other advice that makes me think of a really important piece of advice, use that, using that term cisgender for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, your kid is going to hear that and be like, what? My parents just re- referred to themselves as cisgender. Like, that's they're going to feel seen in a way that, like, I don't think cis people can fully understand. No, it's it's a very clear indicator. Like, you recognize that... Mm-hmm the gender universe exists. You've done a little bit of educating yourself. You've done a little bit of reading. You've done, you listened to a podcast or two. Um, and like, it sends a message to this kid like, Oh, Oh, okay. This, this might go. Okay. Yep. I also want to mention about this particular topic. Trans people, all trans people, are much more the expert on themselves than they are on the expert of transness. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so if you come asking your kid a bunch of questions about like gender theory, they're not going to know the answer to that. No, (laughs) they're not. Maybe not until they go to college and take some gender, some classes and actually learn gender theory. I think the other thing is like really when you're having, when you're asking your kid questions about like gender or their gender experience, um, doing it in a way that's like comes from the, the lens of, Oh, I see it as opposed to, I don't see it. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Validating it. Even if you didn't see it when they were little. Yeah. Right. Nope. Mm-hmm. I, that going back to my sister, she gets really annoyed when we tell this, the, when we joke about our stories because she was, 
it annoys her that nobody saw it. And so I validate her because I'm like, I saw it. Right. Even if we don't yeah. see it, we have to validate that that's the experience that they're having. Yeah. Gosh, I bet it's really difficult for your sister. That would really add to this feeling of invisibility and not trans enoughness. Yep. And she's younger too. So there's that piece as well. Yeah. I came out first. All those things. Yeah, it's tricky. And even when you have another trans child and then you have a second child come out as trans, that just because you have the one trans child doesn't mean you understand the other one at all any better. Right? Like you were saying earlier, these journeys are totally different. Her identity is very different than mine. And we experience gender very differently. And so we have to acknowledge those differences. Also, I think when we think about like, oh, I'm going to make a general statement here and you're going to have to tell me that I'm wrong if I'm wrong. (laughs) But I'm thinking about like the families that I have worked with who have multiple trans kids and what the culture of talking about gender and talking about transness and talking about queerness and just talking about being different in some way or another um how that has existed in all of those homes Mm, yeah Mm -hmm. and i wouldn't necessarily like they don't it's not like they encouraged their kids to be trans in some way or another but they gave Mm -hmm. permission for their kids to be who they are yes Mm -hmm. I, i would say that tracks with my story with my sister because i came out first and in a sense watching me go through it showed her that it was possible that like like that she could tell the family that she could tell us and i think for her it being so like such a different experience than it was for me and me having all this male privilege now with showing up to the house with a beard and a deep voice and all that she was like wait a minute and so it changed the way my family talks about gender and i think that having those being able to have those conversations more helped her feel safer right so I see mm-hmm. where you're going with that. And it, it definitely tracks for my for my story. Okay. Realistically, tangible things. If mm-hmm. a family comes in and they're like, this is Sarah and she came out as trans and now she won't talk to us about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, Flynn, what do you find the odds are that Sarah's going to talk to you about those things? Uh, pretty, pretty slim. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty slim. Yep. I would say the same thing. If your kid is not chatty about their gender with you, um, mm. it's probably going to mean that they're also not at least immediately chatty with us about their gender. And we have to do all of the work of like building rapport and creating a safe space and right. creating a safe environment. And that can take a long time, mm-hmm. um, depending on the kid. But a lot of parents freak out and they're like, oh, I'm going to get my kid into therapy. Oh, my God. Um, and being a trans kid does not inherently mean you need a therapist. I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful for everybody to right. therapy. Right. Yeah. But like just because your kid comes out as trans does not mean that there's something wrong with them. Sometimes they come in and they're like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah, I get that <laughs> a lot, actually. I get that a lot from my younger ones, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well... Let's talk about what you want to talk about since you are here. Uh, Right. And so then we end up spending time like talking about the school drama and like the teacher that sucks or like how their younger sibling like just keeps 
violating all their boundaries and coming to their room. And we'll talk about that, all that stuff way more before we get to oh, totally. um, gender stuff. Special interests too, especially with our neurodiverging queer clients. They really want to talk about those things. So I try to use the special interest as a way to kind of get them comfortable talking about gender. Like if they're, I got a client that's really into Star Trek. So we talk about gender in the context of Star Trek, not in the context of them. Mm -hmm. And that teaches me a lot about their gender. Absolutely. That's another tip for parents. You want to engage these conversations, try to make them fun and not about necessarily about the kiddo, right? Oh, this character seems non-binary or this character. There's a lot of like actual TV out there or shows out there that have non-binary or queer characters these days. Absolutely. Way more than there used to be. Yeah. Um, but you're like really on to something about the like special interest thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. so something that parents don't really get if you're not a neurodivergent person, um, everybody's got like things that we are interested in. We've all got hobbies. We all have things where we like to, to learn about or talk about. Um, neurodivergent people, the special interest is like, it's not just I'm interested. It's mm-hmm. when I get to talk about this, when I get to learn about this, when I get to spend time in any way, shape, or form connected to this thing that I love, it's like a euphoria feeling, mm-hmm. right? So it's so much bigger than I'm enjoying myself. It's like, this is the greatest, and I can't believe I'm talking about this right now with you. So if you don't spend time already talking with your kid about their special interest, just know you're missing a huge connection opportunity. Oh, totally. Um, because mm-hmm. all you have to do too, the, like, t- and talking with kids about their special interests is like the easiest thing in the world because you just have to like plant like a seed about it. Like, oh, here's one question. They'll talk for hours. Yeah, they um, really will. <laughs> uh-huh. It is such an entry point to just developing a pattern. One, developing a pattern of like talking. Mm-hmm. Right. You can just like have con- lots of conversations about things that they're super interested in. Taking an interest in them beyond just this one thing really matters. And like you said, using the special interest to then talk about gender constructs or gender concepts or like getting curious about it, I think is yeah, really what it curiosity is. Curiosity goes a long way, right? And not not like curiosity that's invades their privacy, but just Mm-mm. like gentle, a very gentle curiosity. Right, it's a delicate balance because again, we don't want to interrogate them, but we also mm-hmm. want to encourage them to feel like it's safer. It's safe for them to share. It's safe for them to explore this with us. Yeah, I have a um, neurodivergent kid um, who mm. recently came out as non-binary. Very exciting! Oh, awesome! Congratulations! Uh, well, thank That's you awesome. very much. Uh, and they were just really nonchalant about it, and I so I was like matching their energy and being really nonchalant about it, mm-hmm. and. Um, then after we talked about it for literally 90 seconds, um, they said, I don't really want to talk about this anymore. And I'm like, okay. And that's yeah. the thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. I take I take their cue. I take their lead. So I yeah. don't really want to talk about this anymore. It's totally fine. And, yeah, and I said, great. What do you want to talk about? And then my kid is super into uh, Roblox and super into... Um, Fortnite um, and Minecraft. And I will tell you that one of the very clear indicators, this convert, like this, I'm going to come out as something was definitely, I knew this was happening. And a lot of the time I knew, or a lot of the clues that I got about 
their gender came through the avatars that they made Mm -hmm. um, for their characters in these video games. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting choice that you made for that avatar, you know, like for that character. And and they're like, oh, yeah, uh, I really like this or I really like that. And we'll let them just like talk about like the things that they're super into. Right. So when they came out, one of the questions that I asked was that I assumed was going to be like the clear path of like, this is the one thing that they don't have. Um, And that was like clothes that they could express themselves in that looked anything like the avatars. Right. Right. And they already have long hair. They already have like been doing this sort of like soft gender play. Um, But I was like, Hey, you know, that one avatar that's got like this, like sort of like long black skirt thing that kind of flows. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. Would you ever want something like that? Uh, And they were like, yeah. I mean, to wear to school. And I was like, I don't know, just just to have, like, I don't know, you know? And they were like, I don't think I would wear it to school. I don't think people would understand it's cool, but I definitely think that I would like some skirts. I mean, that was it. That's amazing. Right. And I was like, cool. All right. Do you want? And then I was like, do you want me to just get some for you? Do you want to like look for the ones that are like that? Or do you care? And they were like, you know, it's really about the fabric. Because they're neurodivergent and fabric is very important. Um, And so then that like led to this like, okay, so it sounds like what we really need to do is go to the fabric store. You pick out the fabric that feels good. And then I will sew you some skirts. And they were like, yeah, that sounds great. That's awesome. Wow. And all of that after, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Yep. So they say they don't want to talk about this. But once you meet them where they're at on their terms, then they're able to engage. That totally makes sense to me, right? That's brilliant approach. And I like that you said that you match their energy. I think it's really important to mm-hmm. try to always try to match our kids' energy, even if it's not a topic like this, but especially when like, they're bringing something to you that's really vulnerable, like mm-hmm. their gender. Yeah. And then when I was done with the conversation, I said, I said, all right, cool. Well, I'll talk to you later. Sounds good, right? Or, sound, you know, sound okay? And, you know, <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, cool. I really like talking to you. And that was it. And that was it. That was it. It wasn't a big deal. Didn't have to be made into a big deal either. Mm-mm. It's so important. I think we also, it's important to recognize that we have our own responses, right? But like, we don't necessarily have to share that response with our children. And we need to give ourselves time to process before we do that. Yeah. If it's even, to... And decide if it's even relevant to share that with them. Right. Why am I speaking? Or why am I talking? This is when I tell mm-hmm. parents all the time, wait, why am I talking? I love that. And so, and I really encourage parents to think about that. If I am talking to my kid about this, why am I talking to them about it? Is it something, am I trying to get information? And if so, can I get the information from another source? Because my child shouldn't be the educator to me about this. My child can educate me about them, but they shouldn't be my educator about transness. That's what books are for. And podcasts and and things like that. But um, but why am I talking is a really, really helpful 
really helpful uh, way to remember, like, what's my intention in this conversation with my kid? And am I investing or am I withdrawing the foundational funds of our relationship in it? Like, it's okay to have doubts, but do our kids need to hear those doubts? And that's part of your process as a parent, not necessarily relevant to for your kid to hear and almost even harmful in many cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, those are what we call inside thoughts. Yep. Um, those stay inside. Uh, and a lot of those, like, this doesn't make sense. I don't get it. Those are great to bring to PFLAG. They're great to bring to other, your to your friends, to your partner, um, but not to your kid. Like, it's not appropriate. You, it's not your kid's job to make it make sense. Exactly. Um, so taking your time, going slow, letting them be themselves and just like every now and then my kid will do something um, that really feels very authentic to who they are. Right. And sometimes it has to do with gender. Sometimes it doesn't, but I just always really like to point out like, I just love it when you're like, I can really see you shine through what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, and sort of give like, oh, this is good. I feel good. Yeah, uh, totally. It's, it's validating without it having to be all about just one aspect of who they are. Okay. Is there anything else in terms of like tips for talking to kids who don't want to talk? There's so many things. Yeah. The one thing going back to the doubt is just that like right now we're living in a time where there's a lot of misinformation about trans people popping up. Yeah. There's a lot mm-hmm. of legislation happening. And there's this idea of like, because there's so many more trans folks coming out, that it's a trend, right? I keep hearing this trans trender thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so when we, that that can contribute to the doubt and recognizing that like, so what? So what if it is for your kid and th- your kid is one of those kids who's like, I'm trans and then decides later, no, and never mind. Is it a big deal, right? In the grand scheme of things, letting them explore it and not panicking based on the information that we're getting from sources that aren't are kind of actually questionable. And I think along that same vein of what you're saying, um, if we think about it in terms of like, I think about it in a couple of ways. Okay, so one is like, is my kid going through any other phase that I'm trying to end? Right. Ooh, that's a great one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of kid phases my kids have gone through that I'm like, this is annoying. Um, but I don't try and end their phase necessarily. I recognize it as part of their development and we move through it. Um, mm-hmm. The other is when we make it really hard and a kid has to like fight their parent to believe them. Like when we have to fight to be believed, it feels so awful to have to fight to be believed. But then it feels even more awful to then have to be like, it's just so damaging to your relationship with your kid. Yeah. It feels like a power play. It feels like a power struggle. And kids should have the ability and the freedom to explore who they are, what they're about. And they should be able to come to you and say, I think this, and then later come back and be like, that thing I said was dumb. Um, That's okay. Yeah, that should be normalized. We mm-hmm. want them to be able to say I was wrong about something. And so, like, that's a, a key skill in adulthood. 
And so they need to be able to have the space and the permission to be able to, to work through whatever their story is. And whatever their story is, I encourage you to believe them. Um, whatever they say is true at that moment, right? My kid could come to me two years from now, three years from now and be like, so it turns out I'm just a dude. And I would be like, cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If that changes again, let me know. Exactly. And trusting them, right? It's so important. You can damage the trust forever if you don't give them the benefit of the doubt. And just trusting them. To know themselves because they know themselves better than you know them as a parent, right? It's a hard thing, and mm-hmm. but it's so important. Well, and there's so much power in really take parents, like if there's anything they take away from this, exploring your own gender journey really is a great place to start, mm-hmm. right? And it's just uh, so important to really examine your own experience with gender and how that has shaped you. Because we yeah. don't take as much, cis folks don't take as much time doing that. Because we don't have to. Thanks, privilege. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and this is something that consumes trans people. Like I, especially as the more I, closer I came to coming out. And then once, like I was debating hormones, once I made these decisions, like it's already consuming my brain and my process. Like I don't need questions from other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Like these kids don't need those types of questions. They're just trying to figure it out and putting pressure on them isn't going to make them figure it out any faster. Yeah. I had one kid, I think we heard from a mom and she was talking about how her kid told her, I need your help to figure out so many things. My gender is not one of them. Yes. Mm. Like how to drive a car is one of them. Mm. How to navigate the situation at school is one of them. How to do all these different things. But I know who I am. Kids come to us for support when they need the support. Mm-hmm. They come to us with questions when they have questions. And there's more access to information now with the internet mm-hmm. and communities online. Trans community, a lot of trans people use the internet for community because it feels safer. And they can find people with like-minded interests who are also trans, right? Kind of broadens the ability to create community. So they're not alone necessarily, right? There's yeah. different ways that they can build community and find the resources they're looking for. And the support yeah. they're looking. I will say that sometimes I hear parents use that as a reason why it's not real. Oh, yeah, right. That's true. Like, yeah, <laughs> like they spend too much time on the internet. Um, oh, that's yeah. I was. I. I just think like the your kid learning about transness on the internet does not make your kid trans, right? Like, if something resonates yeah. with somebody, we learn more about it. We go deeper into it. Figure out yeah. like, oh, okay. And the number one thing I hear from kids all the time is I have known all along or I have known from a very young age or I've known from like middle elementary school that like there was something about me that did not match the other girls in my grade or my other like my peers were not. I was clearly different in some way. I didn't know what it was. And then I finally found on the Internet this person who was talking about transness. And it was the first time where something went, there's a name for it. Mm-hmm. right and the sort of like euphoria of feeling understood and seen and then yeah. that's when the like i'm gonna find more about this right so cisgender people do not watch videos about trans people and go oh my god i think i'm trans exactly <laughs> that not, thought wouldn't occur to a cisgender person that's not an experience mm-hmm. they have <laughs> exactly mm-hmm 
that makes me think of just like the reality is that if you're cisgender, you're not going to understand what transness is like, period. You're just not. And like, you have to accept that your kid is the expert because there's no possible way you could ever understand what they're, what they're going through. But the closest you could get possible to understanding it is by examining your own gender journey. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think we've given people a lot to think about. We sure have. Thanks for joining us for Campfire today. I hope this conversation with Flynn has provided you with valuable insights and tools to create a safe and supportive space for your kids to talk and express themselves. Remember, navigating difficult conversations with our children can be challenging, but it's important to approach these conversations with love, empathy, and an open mind. We encourage you to continue to educate yourself and seek resources to better understand your child's experience and needs. If you have questions or comments, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We're on Facebook as Wild Heart Society, and we are on Instagram as wild.heart.society. We've got that private group I told you about before, the Camp Wild Heart community on Facebook. And you can also email us directly at camp at wildheartsociety.org. And I will respond to those emails myself. Also, if you're looking for someone for your family to work with, Wild Heart Society offers a wide range of services from individual and group therapy to community events and family gender transition coaching. We'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation. All of us here at Camp Wildheart, listeners and counselors, are here to support you. So don't be a stranger. The topic of this episode came straight from the Camp Wildheart community. I'm so grateful for you for asking these questions. One person asked, but it quickly became evident that they were not the only one who needed this episode. Also, thanks to Flynn for sharing their time, skills, and energy with us, and for just being an all-around awesome human. They're on staff here at camp, so you'll be hearing from them again down the road or at In Real Life Camp. Thanks again for showing up here and for your kids. Be sure to subscribe for free to the podcast so you don't miss future campfires and give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us, and we want to make sure that anyone who needs us knows that there's a bunk for them at Camp Wildheart. <laughs>